G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. When I came across Luke 11 and began to understand what was happening, man, it changed a lot of the way I thought about God and my request and my prayers. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we'll hear about the big ask. Pastor Jeff shows us developing the discipline of prayer and meditation on God's Word enables us to come confidently to God and not just when we need something. Luke says, okay, now that we've taught you how to pray, there's going to come a time when you're going to be asking God for the big thing and you're going to need to remember this. And these are the words of Jesus. This is Today with Jeff Vines. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to go to a powerful parable that I think is going to make a big difference in our series called Start to Pray. And as you do that, you know, Google is amazing. You can find anything on Google. I mean, you can find details. I want to show you the home that I grew up in, in Elizabethan, Tennessee. It's right here. This is my house. We, I mean, we Google that. Isn't that amazing? And as we pan out a little bit from that, my entire life from the age of 8 to 10 was spent on these five streets right here. Uh, This was a little community. It was bordered by a river, so we couldn't cross. And then a baseball field over on the left-hand side. And then, of course, Main Street. This was my world from the age of about, well, actually from the time I was born till the time I was about 15 or 16 years old. Each street in my neighborhood was named after a tree. I think I shared this before. And each street had its own representation of hell itself. I think God was giving me a foreshadowing of the life that was to come. Because there was something that terrorized me. I mean, you think about it. When you're that young, eight, nine, ten years old, everything looks bigger than life. And on the first street, uh, we had a, a man by the a young uh, boy by the name of Lynn Kiker. I shared his story before. This guy just waited for me on Fridays. Waited just to abuse me. As I would go up to the door, and I was the paper boy in that little vicinity, and I would deliver the papers that I would collect on Fridays. You'd go to the door, knock on the door, say collect. He would just wait for me. And he would come out and spit tobacco juice on me. He was like five or six years old, and that's my story, I'm sticking to it. He was a big bully, and he would throw things at me, pop bottles, Coke cans, whatever. Just, he lived to terrorize me. And if that wasn't enough, by the way, I did pray. We're in a series called prayer. I prayed for him. I really, even at that young age, I pray, I was disciplined every day. I prayed, God, kill him. <laughs> I did. I prayed. I prayed. Take him out, God, please. I mean, my, my parents taught me to pray. I was a prayer. Poison his lollipop, you know, slip some, slip some arsenic in his Coke can. Uh, I hope he comes down with a bad case of the measles. Anything, God, just anything. Just open up a big can of get him, God. So I prayed. I prayed from a very young age. And then you go to the next street as I deliver the papers, and there was a family that had a Doverman, a dog, and they named him Satan. Who names their dog Satan? This dog, I don't care what you say, waited on me. He knew that every day about 3.45 after school that I would be there to deliver the papers. He would always be there right on the front porch. Now, you think about this when you're eight, nine years old. I had nightmares about this dog chasing me and biting me and killing me. And he would just wait there on the porch, show his teeth, and just wait for me to run. 
He just went, and then as soon as I took off on my bike, boom, he's out the door chasing me. I hated this dog. This dog was evil, and I prayed about him too. I prayed that God would poison that dog. I prayed that God would give him some kind of gum disease and all his teeth would fall out. Or he'd be hit by a car, a big car, like a truck or a van. I'm telling you, all dogs do not go to heaven. Some dogs go to hell with the rest of the cats, I'm just telling you. So we had Walnut Street, we had Mulberry Street, and then one street over, we had another street, Hickory Street. And on this street lived a, a, a beautiful girl. Her name was Tracy Stout. And I would have done anything to get her to notice me. And uh, she was one of these uh, Tennessee girls with a Tennessee tan, but she didn't have the accent, and those were hard to find. And so I prayed for her, too. I prayed, God, have her notice me. I needed a miracle. I knew it. And I prayed really, really hard. Now, I say that, but those were the beginning years of my prayer life. I mean, you, you pray with maturity, and that's what I asked God. And I struggled with God during this period of my life. I really did because I had my pastor telling me that God hears my prayers. God wants me to pray. And he gives us whatever we ask for, the desires of our heart. And we just name it, claim it, and God will deliver it. And I, that's what I thought. But the problem is I prayed hard. I sent my prayer bombs toward God. And Lynn Kiker lived on. He went on and on and on terrorizing the neighborhood. I don't know where he is today. Like I say, he's probably in Leavenworth or somewhere like that. Uh, the Doberman went on living. He never seemed to die. This dog, I mean, mean doesn't die, does it? The meaner you are, the longer you seem to be able to live. That dog probably still living and terrorizing generations of paper boys. And Tracy went on to date the captain of the football team. She got married. She never even knew I existed. There's a part of me, you know, what's up with God? The problem is, as you get older, your prayers intensify a little. They get a little bit more serious, don't they? Because now you're praying not for Tracy Stout or against a dog or a bully in the neighborhood. You start praying things like, God, make my mom live. Or, God, please take away the cancer. Or, God, please do something. I'm losing my house and I'm losing my family and I'm losing my kids. Thank God somewhere along the line, I can't tell you exactly when it was, but I, I, I came across Luke 11. And when I came across Luke 11 and began to understood, understand what was happening, man, it changed a lot of the way I thought about God and my requests and my prayers. And I know every single one of you have gone through times when you've asked God for that big thing. You needed it, man. And you, you really needed it badly and you depended on him. And so in that vein, Jesus tells you a parable. These are the words of Jesus. And interestingly enough, it comes on the hills of the Lord's Prayer in Luke's version of the gospel. It's almost like Luke says, okay, now that we taught you how to pray, there's going to come a time, there's going to come a time when you're going to be asking God for the big thing and you're going to need to remember this. And these are the words of Jesus. So Jesus tells a story and the story starts like this in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 5. He said, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey. He's come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, before we get into the passage, can I, let me teach just for a moment, and then we'll go to, the, to the, 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 the exhortation part, all right? So you've got your Bible, you've got it in front of you. You need to understand that in first century culture, hospitality had three aspects to it, and they were non-negotiables. The first thing is, no matter what time of day or night that the visitor arrived, you were under an obligation to provide the best meal you could in the village, and he was provide, or he was required to eat the meal that you provided, in other words, hospitality was a great value in first century culture. They didn't have McDonald's or Taco Bell or Kentucky Fried Chicken to stop at on the way. So travelers, when they got tired, would just stop at the village that happened to 
come across when they were tired and weary and rest. Uh, they actually gave awards we have out of the first century context for villages who were known to be hospitable. Your name was recognized and every village wanted to be known for that village that you could trust us to take care of visitors, believe it or not. And so uh, you might uh, receive a guest into your house that's a stranger, but you're not only hosting a guest as just the host, you're hosting the guest on behalf of the entire village. So how you treat the guest would go a long way to help you maintain your hospitality and your honor of your village. So it was important. Now, if you were the one that were asked, in other words, in this story, Jesus tells, a visitor comes, but the friend doesn't have any food in the house. So he has to go to his neighbor and ask him to help him prepare this feast to uphold the honor of the community. So if you're the one being asked, it's like, that's a big deal. Man, he trusts me. He knows that I'm the one with the good steaks and chicken. You know, he, I can go to him and he'll bring me the best meal to provide the best feast for this visitor who is traveling. So what happens next is kind of strange. Jesus says in verse six that I have nothing to set before him. In other words, the visitor comes, he goes over to the next door neighbor because he says, I've got a guest that's arrived in the village and to maintain the honor, I don't have food to feed him. I'm gonna need you to help me. Now, what he means here in the original language is not that he has no food. He has food. He just probably has peanut butter instead of steak and chicken. You got it? He's got food, but he doesn't have enough food, the best food to protect the honor of the village. Now, it's kind of like the same thing that happens. Let me go back again. When my wife goes into her closet, before we're going on a trip, and she says what? I have nothing to wear. Now, when she says that, it doesn't mean that she, that she can only go if clothing's optional, right? Or I have nothing actually to put on my body. She doesn't mean it. What does she mean? She means I, I have nothing to wear that would not make me look like a fashion challenge hag married to a cheapskate, right? <laughs> That's what she means. So in order to uphold the honor of the family, I have got to go out and buy something or I'll embarrass myself. So this is what the guest says. The, the guest arrives, the host says, oh my goodness, I've got a guest, I've got to uphold the honor of the village, but I don't have that kind of quality of food. I'm going to go over to my next neighbor and I'm going to knock on the door, even though it's in the middle of the night, and I'm going to borrow some food to make a feast to uphold the honor of our village. That's what happens. Now, verse 7, Jesus says, imagine this happens. That the one inside says, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. So, the man who wants to uphold the honor of the village goes to his, his neighbor because he doesn't have food in to feed the, the guest of honor. And he knocks on the door. He says, imagine, Jesus says in his story, that the guy yells from the second floor of his home and says, dude, we're already asleep. The wife and children are asleep. I don't want to wake them up. Sorry, can't help you. Now, what's interesting about this is in the original language, again, grammatically, it's, it goes like this. Jesus says, imagine this happens. Now, it's ludicrous. They'd be laughing because this would never happen. Jesus says, okay, just for the sake of pretending, pretend this happens. It's ludicrous. I know it's unthinkable. It's so absurd. They're probably chuckling over it because there's no way the neighbor's going to say, I'm asleep. Don't wake me up. Don't bother me because the honor of the village is at stake. Folks, it's like trying to imagine the Cubs winning the World Series or hell freezing over, or both, all right? Jesus says, okay, I know it's far-fetched, but just pretend, if your neighbor did that, what would you do? And Jesus says, I know what you would do. You would just stand there and keep knocking. You wouldn't go away. You'd just knock. And every five minutes when they think you're gone, you'd knock again. 
Uh, we have an old hound dog that lives about a block away from our home. And every time the owners go on vacation or go away, do you know what that hound dog does all night? Oh yeah, all night. Have you ever wanted to go and put another animal out of your misery? Man, I, so especially if it's on Friday night when I'm trying to get rest or Saturday night, every 15 minutes, woo! I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Jesus says, because you know the importance of the situation and because your neighbor knows how persistent you're going to be until you get what you need to uphold the honor of the village, you're just going to stand there and knock and knock and you're going to wear him down. And finally, his wife's going to say, honey, is he still down there knocking? Go down and answer the door and give him what he wants or we'll never get any sleep. And then Jesus says in verse eight, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's persistence, that's a Greek word that means relentless audacity, relentless audacity, because he's relentless and he's audacious, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, when you first read that, you think, wow, what's the message here, Jesus? Are you trying to tell me that God is a reluctant God? He's busy and If you want something from him, you're going to have to just keep begging, begging, begging before he gives you anything. And finally, he's going to say, you bunch of whiners, here, take it. Now leave me alone. (laughs) Is that the kind of God God is? Well, when you read a parable like this, and we've talked about this before, parables move from what we call from light to heavy, from light to heavy. The light is, the light is often the comical manner in which we treat others in the human experience. So the light in the parable is the way we tend to treat each other. The heavy moves to the way that God, who is good and loving, perfect and kind, tends to treat us. So what Jesus is saying, think about it, he says, you go to your neighbor and when you go to your neighbor in the middle of the night, everything's against you. He's asleep, you know, he doesn't wanna wake the kids, the doors are locked, kids are tucked in, the animals are asleep and he may not even like you. And yet, because you know how important it is, you will relentlessly pursue what you need to get the job done. You will not give up. And he's a man or a woman, and you'll just keep knocking. And then Jesus, moving to the heavy, would say, now, if that's the case with your neighbor, who is reluctant often to give you what you need, how much more then should you persist with God, who is never asleep, who is always attentive, and wants to give you the very best of everything? Jesus is saying it only makes sense that if you're willing to persist at the front door of your neighbor who's reluctant and grudge prone, how much more should you knock and knock and knock on the door of God who wants to give you the best of everything? You persist. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. His message is called The Big Ask. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. And just to make sure you don't confuse what he's saying, he goes on, Jesus does. And he says, so I tell you, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Stand there and knock and knock and knock. You do it with reluctant, grudge-prone people. How much more should you persist with a God who wants to give you every good thing? And just in case again, that you missed it, verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? The word for snake is barbet. It's, a, it's an ill-like creature found in the Sea of Galilee. It's about five to six feet long, has no scales. It's inedible. He's saying, which of you fathers, your son, can I have some fish, daddy? And you'd give him a snake. You wouldn't do it. It's not where the heart of the father is. He says, or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. It said that when a scorpion is rolled up, uh, it looks like an egg. So how many of you, you fathers, your son wants an egg and you give him a scorpion. Here, son, bite into this. And then he bites into that and it bites him. What kind of father does that? Or verse nine, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? In the first century, uh, bread looked just like a flat rock. 
And so how many of you, if your son said, here, have some bread, and he bites into it, and he breaks his teeth, it's a rod. How many of you would do that? Jesus and you wouldn't do that, and you're a father. In fact, he goes on in verse 13 and says, how then, though you are evil, I'll stop right there. You fathers are evil. Now, does he mean that we're evil? In one sense, yes, in one sense, no. He's simply saying that we in the human experience as fathers, come on, don't we have issues? Guys, you have issues? Come on, we have issues, don't we? I mean, we're, we're not always forgiving. Uh, we're tainted as fathers. We are. There, there's, we struggle with a lot. I was driving on the 210 again this week. You ever know those drivers that will, in rush hour traffic, they'll get over in the exit lane as if they're going to exit and pass everybody up and then just jerk right back over into traffic? You know those guys? Don't they kind of irritate you? And when they happen, don't you want to kind of just drive around and kind of find them and roll down your window and say, hey, dude, you think, the, you think you're the only one driving? You think you're the only one that has to get someplace in a hurry? You selfish little narcissist. Wouldn't you love to say that to them? But you don't, right? You don't, but you'd love to. And when that happens in my life, like it did this past week, two voices are in my head. One voice is saying, go get them. Tell them what you think. That's one voice. Uh, and then there's another voice that says, hey, whoa, patience. Back off now. Live at peace. Dane Johnson doesn't mean to drive that way. Forgive him. <laughs> you with me? Now, here's the thing. Jesus is saying if you are evil and you have your evil tendencies and you know how to give good gifts to your children, and I do know how to give good gifts to my kids. I know what it's like to stay up till 4 a.m. on Christmas Eve putting together a dollhouse or a, a bicycle because some pathological liar at the factory wrote on the box, easy assembly. <laughs> I know what it's like to do that and then see the smile on my son or daughter's face when they see the bicycle or the dollhouse. Jesus is saying, if you, even though you are evil, if you have those tendencies, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does God know how to give good gifts? In some translations, it says the Holy Spirit, good gifts to those who ask him. Amen. What's Jesus saying? He's saying in your life, if you've ever had a moment and felt any joy at all of giving, take that feeling, purge it of all selfishness, intensify it a thousand times and extend it on down through eternity and you'll get a mere glimmer of the self-giving, joy-filled love of your father. Jesus says far more than you want God to give you good things, God wants to give his children Every good thing. So whatever else you do, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Now, now. But Jeff, I have prayed. I have prayed for God to do some powerful things in my life. I prayed for my mother to live. I prayed for my son to come back to God. I prayed. I have prayed some big prayers. And Jeff, I got to tell you, the answer I got was no. So if God longs to give me every good thing, if God longs to give me every good thing, where is it? Now, the first thing I want to say to you is you've prayed for things and you're telling me God's never given you good things. Well, let's, let's be fair. You're still here, aren't you? None of you look undernourished. I'm assuming that you're eating. So let's be fair. The other thing about God is you got no idea the impact prayers have had on your life because you would only know if something bad happened. There are many of you whose lives have turned out differently because of a grandmother or a grandfather or a spiritual mentor. 
You have no idea which way your life would have gone. Please listen to what Paul says in Romans 8 in the context of prayer. He says in verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Please listen. This is the line you have to get. Paul is saying when you pray, the spirit, even though you don't know what to pray for or how to put it into words, he takes the core prayer that you've prayed and he asks the father to give you what you would have asked for had you known everything that God knows. Do you understand? You pray the burden of your heart. He takes that core prayer and puts it into words to the Father, the words you would have prayed had you known everything that God knew. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through The Big Ask. Please join us next time to hear the rest of the message. To hear more right now, you can head to the Vision Christian Store. That's visionstore.org.au and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.